1: Hi, all. This is Cammy. Dr. Sonia Kissling joins us this week on Money Tales. After working as a corporate law attorney, Sonia found her true passion when she realized she could use her skills to help families and business resolve conflicts. Regular Money Tales listeners will appreciate that Sonia's process is steeped in family values. She finds that families need to identify their shared values, create a common vision that they're working toward, and then develop an action plan to achieve that vision. Today, Sonia runs Family Business Matters, where she advises family businesses with complex family relationships on governance issues and their decision-making processes.
2: Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three money insights Sonia brings to life in this conversation. First, how having money provides freedom of choice without having to justify yourself to others. Second, how her relationship with money is different depending upon whether she earned it herself or it was given to her by family. And third, why knowing your family's money history is important. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend, and please also be sure to subscribe to Money Tales. At the end of this interview, Cammie and I leave you with some approaches for uncovering your family values. Now, onto our conversation with Dr. Sonia Kisling.
1: Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cammie, and I'm here with Sandy, my co-host,
2: Hi, Sandy. Hey, Cammie. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. I was going back in time in my memories because we're talking to a guest who's based in Zurich, Switzerland, a place that brings back very happy memories to me. But it's a story, and I'll share it with you. My folks and I were in the former Yugoslavia visiting with family. This is back when I'm a kid, late teens. And my dad had an aneurysm while we were there, which is really scary. Oh my gosh. It was really scary Sandy. I mean, we're so fortunate he did survive and that's part of the story. We <laughs> happened to be the luckiest people in the world in that the best neurosurgeon in the world is in Zurich, Switzerland at the time and <laughs> we're near. So we had to airlift him. My mom and my dad went on a medical plane and took my dad to Zurich. Wow. A few surgeries later it wasn't one of those where it just happened immediately, but with this best neurosurgeon in the world who saved my dad's life. We left Zurich, Switzerland three months later with my dad and there was a lot of healing and whatnot, but my dad lived for a number of decades beyond this point, healthy, thriving. We're just so blessed. It
2: must've been scary for your family though, to be in a different country and have this horrific
1: health event happen. Sandy, that's another story. It was really scary, really, really scary. What made me think about money tales in this story is that my parents always said, save your money for a rainy day. That's always been our money mantra. At least that's what it was growing up. So this was their opportunity to say, see what we mean? This is exactly what we mean. Because we were able to afford to fly my dad out of Dubrovnik to Zurich, Switzerland, which was very expensive. And I think about this messaging, it's in some ways helped me. It's in some ways maybe held me back at times because it was so dogmatic and there was this potentially catastrophic event. And I'm so thankful we were able to afford to get him out. But it was just really interesting. And I always smile when I think of Zurich, Switzerland. That's where good things happen.
2: Cammy, thanks for sharing that story. And it's great that your parents were financially prepared for different events that could unfold in their life. I'm really glad this one worked out for not only your dad, but for all of you.
1: Us too, Sandy. Thank you. It's perfect time for us to introduce our guests from Zurich, Switzerland. Welcome Dr. Sonia Kissling to the Money Tales podcast.
3: Hi, Cammy. Hi, Sandy. Thank you very much for having me. We're so glad you're here, Sonia. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.
1: Sonia, would you start us off by providing a brief introduction and sharing a couple pivotal moments that really impacted you?
3: What defines me today, and then afterwards I go back, I advise family firms. I'm a lawyer by profession, but today I'm more a family advisor and work with families on their family businesses, on their governance topics, on things like how do we organize ourselves, especially if we have a high amount of family members, who's in the board? who should be in the board, how is our wealth also structured, how is decision-making processes structured. So this is my work today. And it was a long way to go there, so to say, because I started my career, or I was a lawyer in the law. I was working as an attorney for many years. I did a LLM actually in the US. There I focused on mediation, negotiation. This was very important to me. And this was yeah, a life-changing experience also. My focus completely changed from the solutions to the process. So how do people make decisions? What is the process? And that's why I ever since focus on the process, how decisions are established and The focus is no more on providing solution, but discussing with people about topics they need to solve together. So this is very much a very important time for me being in the US. Afterwards, it was difficult. You're a lawyer and then try to be a mediator. But at the beginning, it's very difficult for people to understand what you're actually doing, especially in Switzerland, mediation and negotiation. So it was not very common to do so. So it was quite a hard way also to convince people that this is a good thing and common solution finding process is very important. So it was ups and downs. But now I'm 42. I've worked since a couple of years as an independent advisor. And I think life is generally getting better. <laughs> Touch wood.
1: There we go, Sonia. Are you born and raised in Zurich?
3: I was born and raised in Zurich, next to Zurich in a little village. My father is from Switzerland. My mother is from Germany. So she's a German. Both my parents, they come from not a very privileged upgrowing financially, so they both worked, especially my father worked very hard and became also more successful so that we had a good financial situation as a child. So I, myself, and my sister, we didn't have any financial sorrows when we grow up. So the situation I grew up financially was, there was not an affluent situation. My mother made sure that we didn't get everything we wanted, but we had our hobbies and could go to holidays and could have everything children want to have. When you were growing up, were you thinking very much about money? I was privileged enough that we never had sorrows about having money, but I think everything that comes with gaining money, how do you earn money? What is the best way? What is important in your life? These are questions around money that has necessarily to do only with money, but the surroundings, what education you want to have, what is your goal in your life. I saw a lot about these questions. I saw my father always working very hard. So I knew that there's a relation between work and money. So I always had the impression that you have to work hard in order to get money. So I think this is something that defines me also today.
1: Sonia, were your parents talking with you about that relationship? And did this motivate you to become a lawyer?
3: Interesting question. No, we never talked about money, actually. I didn't receive allowance. But when I was a teenager, I had to clean the office of my father. So I got some francs. But we never talked about money. I never heard something It's too expensive. We never talked about money and what you do with your money. As far as I remember in my childhood,
2: you had a very comfortable upbringing. You were making the connection that hard work went into making money. And at some point, you decided to become an attorney. Tell us about that. How did that all come together? What was drawing you towards studying law?
3: I had the impression that I had to do something serious, not just studying art, maybe at expectation, but not discussed about it as well. But Somehow I felt I had to do something serious, so I thought about studying management, but this was maybe too close to my father, so I thought law is the better alternative. Remember Matlock? It was a movie when I was young, so I liked this, but I didn't know much about law. It was more the impression that I had to do something serious, which also helps me to have a work that I can become independent. Independence is something that is important to me. Why is that? It gives you the freedom to do the choices you want to make, and you don't have to explain yourself or not the need to justify. So I think independence is very important to me, and it's somehow also connected to the financial means that you have.
2: So you're drawn to the profession because of the ability to make your own money and make your own decisions about it. Tell us about what it was like when you first became a lawyer. Did you feel that independence right away?
3: No, when you're a lawyer, you start working in a big law firm, you, you don't have any independence. So you have to work very long hours. The irony kicks in. So no, 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 no independence. But it gave me some very interesting work. I met very, very smart people. I had very interesting insights to cases. This was very, very interesting, but not independent. Financially, yes, it was nice to have after the studies to have some financial means. And that allowed me also to travel. My husband at that time he was my boyfriend, but we traveled a lot. So it was great to have the financial means to travel, to see the world. This was just the great freedom to have. I enjoyed that very much. At the beginning, earning money was for me mostly about being able to get to know the world, to travel.
1: Experiences, that's great. Tell us, Sonia, where did you start learning about money and how to handle it? The values you have for it, these experiences. How did you learn?
3: I'm a independent advisor since five years. I think then I learned a lot about money. Earning money as independent advisor. It was never so hard to earn money before. Once you worked independently, it gives you very different insight into. The costs you have. When I was employed, I never thought about these things. You don't think about how much money you need to buy, all the infrastructure you need to be able to work. But if you work on your own, you know. So I think I learned about money when I became an independent advisor. But still, I think there are different pots in my head. Pots with money that have a different value. I have the pot with self-earned money, which I'm very proud of as well. I'm happy when I see, okay, now after a couple of years, because the first years was difficult, but after a while to be able to make my living with the work I do and be able to support my family, I think that makes me proud. There's a different pot in my head with the money I did not work for. I received at some point some financial means from my father. So this is a whole different story because you have a different relationship to I think the money you didn't earn yourself. So I have different pots in my head with different emotional relationship to it. I think that's very interesting. Can you say more about how the
2: inherited money is different? And I'm curious to know if you physically separate these pots that are in your head.
3: Yes, I do. I separate them physically or online, virtually. And I have it in my mind, inherited money somehow I have not the same legitimization towards inherited money than towards the money I earn myself. I believe also, so my parents both, they still live, but I think assets that I would own, it's more the obligation to pass it on to my own children. And the money, maybe it's very strange, but the money I earn, I feel like I have more liberty to do with it, whatever I want. I'm wondering if as you've matured
2: in your life and had more experiences, if you've had more money conversations with your parents as an adult, and whether they put any expectations on the money that they've given you, that cause you to view it differently than money you've earned yourself.
3: I don't think they expressed expectation how I deal with money, but they always were very careful with money. So for my mother, especially, it had no importance. My mother always said to me, You can walk down the Bahnhofstrasse, which is the street with all the nice shops. And you can walk down there without having clothes, being completely naked. If you're a good person and have a good personality, that's who you are. So she always said money should not define yourself. And you should also not define yourself from titles or wealth. You should also not be impressed by these things because the real values lie within you. She was very independent from these external temptations. So I felt she always had high expectations towards her children to be just themselves who you are. Money was not something that you should define your personality
2: upon. So by keeping that pot of inherited money to the side, it sounds as if you've paired that with the values that your parents held strong.
3: Yes, I think inherited wealth is for me something that you need to be very responsible with. You need to care for it. You need to pass it on. You shouldn't spend it. I think this is very important.
1: And that's why it's becoming generational wealth in your mind, it sounds like. Sonia, you're married, you have children. Do you talk about money with your family, whether your husband or your kids, different than how your parents were?
3: Actually, Kemi, I just registered for a webinar where they talk about how to educate your children with money. So I'm curious how you do it. I would say we didn't talk enough about it. I try to think of it, how I should educate them, because I want them to be responsible with the money, but also not take it as the most important thing in their lives. But it is an important thing in life. You somehow have to deal with it. And I myself, I think I could do much better. (laughs) With my husband, we tried to do budgets for our own at the beginning, but we never kept it. I think I could have done it much better. (laughs) So maybe my children need to learn a little bit more about it than I did. Because of our discussion, I thought about money. And I like to think about it because it's somehow important to discuss about it and to realize how to deal with it to learn handling money or your salary, et cetera.
2: I think you're on the right path thinking through the values first and really articulating what your family values are and using that as a backdrop for all the money conversations. Budgeting is a great tool. There's so many different financial tools But I think it's really up to each individual and each family to figure out what tools work best for them because some people intuitively know what's coming in and what they're spending and other people benefit from really putting the numbers in place. I'm wondering, just thinking about your work, Sonia, you had mentioned before that you have evolved your career from crafting solutions to really thinking about process. And I'm curious to know how you think about process, and I'm trying to figure out what we can use from your experience, building process that listeners can take into their lives and think about it from how they process money-related decisions.
3: As you do, I think it's the best thing. First step is to talk about it. You have to find the right situation and the right age to talk with your families about it but to dedicate really some time apart from the family life. You don't want to talk about these issues at Christmas, but you need to find a place where you can talk about it. So you need to do a family meeting to talk about these things. And what I see with wealth, as you said, you need to create a shared vision or a shared values. Also with regard to financial means, if you invest together as a family Ideally, you have a shared understanding on what you want to invest. And then also the interests of the family members come and the alignment. What do we want to do with our money? What is our values? What are no goals? Especially if you have financial means that need to be invested. So you have to define also the framework how they should invest today, ESG and all these topics are important. But it's more important than to have an external label to really be aligned within the family. What do we want? Who are we? What is our history? I think history of wealth is very important and it helps you very much also to deal with your wealth because it gives you an indication where it comes from. It's very systemic and then it might help you to define also where it should go to. To talk about history of wealth, I think that would be a nice start for families that are in the privileged situation.
2: When you're talking to the families you're working with about the history of wealth in the family, are you capturing these narratives? Is someone writing them down or is it more oral telling one generation sharing with the next?
3: I do always the minutes of the family meeting, so They have it somewhere if we talk about it, but I don't capture all the thoughts. Sometimes we have sessions that are recorded so that they can listen to it again. But I like very much the idea about doing a video or often family members or families in that situation, they have a family book or they create a family book about their history. But I like also the idea of doing a film because it's more the next generation thing. It's more visual. I think doing a family film, that's something that can be uniting It also can be very dangerous if only one, because there are always multiple sides to a story. So you have to really be careful in writing family history together. It's a big task to do so.
1: Sonia, my brothers interviewed my grandmother on my mom's side long ago, and they put this video together, and it is beautiful. She's passed just to hear her voice but to tell the family story, you're right, it's telling it from her perspective. And as we watched her kids, my mom, my aunts and uncles, were possibly arguing about the facts, but there you have it. And we've got it captured and it is really powerful.
3: That's very, very beautiful.
1: It's priceless. In your mediation and negotiation, I'm curious, what are some of the tools that you've learned that you bring to your family conversations that could help our listeners when they're having money conversations within their family?
3: I think you should ask every question that you can think of, because we have always the impression that we know the other person, especially if it's a family member. We have really the impression we know all about this person, but I really believe there are a lot of false assumptions that lead to many conflicts. So if you have these sessions, just ask everything. That is very important because we have so much false assumption.
1: Be curious.
3: Be curious. Very important. You really
2: learn so much. And I think it's amazing when you're working with different adult children of the same parents, how different they can each be, even though they were raised by the same two people in the same household, the circumstances of the family could have changed a lot over the lifetimes of those three children. And each of them is so different. So I love that advice to be curious. Don't just assume you know what your family member's thinking about money. Now that you have had your own business for five years and you've contributed to the financial well-being of your family, it sounds like you've really reached that original goal of being independent. How are you thinking about money for yourself and your family going forward? What are your
1: goals?
3: At the moment, I'm not quite safe, I would say. I think working independent, you always have to sorrow. Will it last? Do we have enough clients, et cetera? So there's always an insecurity, especially, you know, Corona. At the beginning, all the physical meetings were canceled. It's always a little anxiety. But because of being independent and my husband as well, he participated in his company. So we had a financial situation, which was Risky, so to say, and I hope looking forward that now we come more in the creation boot. And I feel when we look forward, I'm curious now how that develops, what our values are for our commonwealth.
2: And are you and your husband actively having money conversations all the time? We try
3: not to. There was also a survival belief that we were going to manage it. We value the same things. I don't think we would invest alike. The common wealth we have or the common financial means, I think we have a shared understanding how that should be spent. It's good that each of us can just do what he or she wants without needing to justify. I think that's a great advantage when you have a higher salary or more money coming in. And also because I think for the spouse's relationship, it's also very hard to justify each Cent or each franc in Switzerland towards each other. So I think the privilege of having more money is to also within the partnership to have less conflict. So it sounds like you have a hers, a his, and an ours bucket
2: for making the family all come together and work out.
1: Tell us, Sonia, what's your next money conversation going to be and who is it going to be with?
3: I think it's going to be with myself because I need to do some investments in my office. So the next money conversation I will have with myself, so far, I took over everything that I had, but now I would like to invest a little bit more in the infrastructure of my office. So I'm going to talk with myself how much I'm willing to give myself to do so. (laughs) This is the very next conversation that I will have.
2: (laughs) Sounds like you're going to use all of your sharp negotiating skills for that one too.
3: Yes, it's difficult.
1: Dr. Sonia Kissling, it has been a wonderful opportunity to speak with you. You've shared a lot of wonderful wisdom from your journey and what you do in life as a business professional, as well as a wife and a sister and a mom, all the different roles we play in life. So thank you for sharing that with us and our listeners on Money Tales today.
3: Thank you very much.
1: Sandy, that was really special to be talking with Sonia all the way as she resides in Zurich, Switzerland.
2: I enjoyed the conversation as well, Cami.
1: Sandy, tell me, we talked with her a lot about family values. Any thoughts on how to help a family identify their values?
2: We talk about values all the time with clients at Aspirant and also with guests on Money Tales, And this is because the basis of any individual or family's wealth plan is really their values. They're going to dictate so much of the client's ability to achieve the vision they have for themselves. And when it comes to families, when there are more than one person, identifying the values is super important because you're looking for common values there. Define the common values. It's important to know what each individual's values are. And there are many different approaches that people use. Some folks have cards, and on one side of the card is a word, and you go through this deck of cards to identify the words or the names of the values that are important to you. And you start sorting the list. Another way is to just look at a list of words. We've used that before with some clients where we have a lot of different words and we have clients go through and choose the words that resonate most with them. And then we have them go through and call that list down to their top three or five. But An approach that I really like is one that our colleague Lynn Bourne shared with me, which is to encourage each family member to share a story about their family that captures their family ethos. And when family members share these stories, I learned so much about these individuals and the family collectively, but really it's the values that come out of these stories. Our job when we're in these meetings with multiple members of the family is to hear these stories and really listen and to begin to pull out their top values. We'll share what we've heard with the family and ask for their response. We'll ask each individual member of the family if those values are resonating with them personally. And if so, we'll ask them to give some examples. What does this mean to you? And this part is really super important, Cami, because A family might identify transparency as a core common value, but each member of the family might have a different definition of what transparency means to them. So it's really important to not only identify the value, but kick it and shape it a little bit and make sure that everybody's on the same page about what that means. And then asking families to describe what it's like when they're putting each of the particular values into motion. What actions are they taking that really reflect the power of those values? Those are some ideas. But I'm curious, Cammy, you shared at the beginning of our conversation with Sonia, before we brought her on, about a special family story you had and some family values that have been part of your family. I'm curious to know if your family talked about those values.
1: True story, Sandy. As you were talking, I was smiling because I think about the stories that were told over and over when I was growing up about all my grandparents who came from the former Yugoslavia with little to no education and very little money. These repetitive stories that were told, the underlying message was save for a rainy day. You just, you worked hard. I mean, there were more work hard, save your money, and you don't know what you might need it for. And it's funny, Sandy, those stories are really powerful. And now I have my own family. Our stories are evolving. I mean, those are some of the stories I share, but now I'm married to Roland, who's from Northern Ireland. We're sharing our own stories, which are reinforcing the values with our kids and with each other, what's important to us.
2: That's so great. And then it continues on through the family. And that reminds me of one of the things that Sonia was talking about, which is understanding your family's history and your family's money values. I think it's beautiful when we can take the best of what prior generations have handed down to us in the form of these stories and these behaviors and add to them our own preferences and what's most important to us.
1: Thanks for that. And thank you for joining us, Money Tales listeners. If these money conversations are inspiring you to have a deeper money conversation, gain further clarity and peace of mind about your financial matters, please reach out to us at Asperient. You can find us on the website. We have a Start a Dialogue page, or you can email Sandy and me
0: at podcasts at Asperient.com. You've been listening to Money Tales, hosted by Sandy Brager and Kami Doder. To subscribe to the show on your favorite platform or to increase your money mojo via their blog, Fathom, head on over to Asperient.com slash podcasts. Thanks, and we'll see you next time on Money Tales.